السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله قال رب شح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time So inshallah today we'll be looking at some of the historical sites in Mecca And the first one we're going to look at is Known as the Mount of Hira or Jabal Hira which lies about two miles from the Kaaba and this is near the top of a small cave a little less than four meters in length and a little more than one and a half meters in width so it's quite small and why was this famous? Of what? Wahi. Okay. Right. So it was here that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he received the first revelations of the Quran. And during which month was this? Ramadan. At Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says Shahru Ramadan Alladhi Unzila Fihil Quran. That the month of Ramadan, this is the month in which the Qur'an was sent down. And this mountain is also known as Jabal Nur, the mountain of light. The Prophet, peace be upon him, first began to have revelations in the form of good dreams which came true. Then he began to go into Solitude. So he would get these dreams and after having these dreams he would want to spend some time on his own. And the Prophet sallallahu wasallam he would go to this cave and he would spend time on his own. In some narrations it says that his wife and who was his wife at this time? Khadija. So Khadija radiallahu anha she would pack some food for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and off he would go. would go. Now obviously if you look at Mecca today to go from the haram to the cave is quick. Right? You just get in a taxi 15 reals, 20 reals you drive a bit okay maybe this road is closed that road is closed takes you a bit longer but 10-15 minutes you're there alhamdulillah but obviously in the time of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he would walk maybe take a ride on his donkey or his camel or whatever he was using so it would take time and then the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he would spend a day two days three days in the cave and whilst the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was spending time in the cave, an angel comes to him. And which angel is this? This is Jibreel. And one night during the time of tahajjud. So many of the ulama, they say this is yani the last third of the night. 
He was alone in the cave. There came to him an angel in the form of what? In the form of a man. And this angel said to him, Iqara. He said to him, recite. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said that I cannot read. So from this also we know, and of many other ahadith, is that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he could not read and he could not write. So the angel took Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he presses him. And he says to him, recite again. The Prophet then again, he replies and he says that I am not a reciter, I cannot read. And this goes on for a few times. Until the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the third time he squeezed and he says that I cannot recite. Here the angel releases him. And he says to him, read, Iqra, bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Read in the name of your Lord. The creator who created man from a clot. And the first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq was revealed to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Khalaq al-insana min alaq. Iqra' wa rabbuka al-akram. Alladhi allama bil qalam. It's the one that the being that taught you to use the pen. That which man did not know. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to read. But he could not read. He's telling him to use the pen. But he could not write. So obviously this message of ikra is an eternal message. It is a message from that time until the day of qiyamah. That one needs to read and one needs to seek knowledge. And there are many ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he emphasizes the importance of knowledge. And here we see that this was the first day of his prophethood and these were the first verses of the Qur'an. How old was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he received nubuwa? Was? 40? 43. 40 or 43? 40. Because the period of which the Quran was revealed was a period of 23 years. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away at what age? 63. Right, so, maths. Then he recited these words after the angel. So the Jibreel would recite and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would recite. And thereupon Jibreel would leave him. And he said that it was though the words were written on my heart. He was very alarmed by the experience and he feared that he had become possessed. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, imagine, right? A being comes out of nowhere. He tells you to read. He squeezes your chest. Then he disappears. He goes. He teaches you five, six verses, and he goes. Obviously, you're going to think, what's going on now? Something isn't right. This is exactly what Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam experienced. 
The Prophet وسلم, he fled the cave and when he was halfway down the slope of the mountain, he heard a voice above him saying, O Muhammad, you are a messenger of God and I am Jibreel. The Prophet peace be upon him, he stood gazing at Jibreel. Then he turned away from him, but whichever way he looked, the angel was always there on the horizon. Whether it was to the north, the east, the south, or the west. Finally, Jibreel turned away. The Prophet wasallam. he was terrified. His heart was pounding. And who is the first person he goes to? To his wife. He goes to Khadija radiallahu anha. And he says, in the famous words, as the hadith mentions, Zammiluni, Zammiluni. Right? Cover me. And she calms Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam down. So this is the significance of this cave. And the Quran tells us that the first revelation descended in the month of Ramadan on the night of power. And Allah, right, we quoted the verse of where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we reveal the Quran during the month of Ramadan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that inna anzalnahu fi laylatil qadr. That inna, that indeed we anzalna, we have sent it down on the night of power. Referring to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The entire Quran was revealed over a period of approximately 22 or 23, right? 22 years, 5 months and 14 days. So there's obviously, or many people, is a mas'ala that comes up with regards to this cave. And that is, is it permissible to climb is it permissible to take a hike to go up to these caves? <coughs> Sheikh Uthaymin rahimallahu ta'ala, he said that some people go to the cave of Hira thinking that it is sunnah. So the first thing is that whoever thinks it is a sunnah to go up to this cave, they know that this is incorrect. It is not sunnah. The cave of Hira is a cave in which Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for several nights before his prophethood began. And the revelation came to him when he was in the cave. But Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not go back to it after that. So once the revelation came to him, he never returned to the cave again. The second point. First point is that some people think it is sunnah. To climb up to the cave, that's incorrect. Secondly, the Prophet ﷺ, he did not go back to the cave after revelation was sent down to him. And the companions of Muhammad ﷺ, there is no authentic report that they also went to visit this cave. There is... Another cave to which some people go thinking that it is an act of worship and this is the cave of Thawr in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam with Abu Bakr radiallahu an hid during the trip of Hijrah. And this we will 
cover as the next slide or the next point. But visiting it is not sunnah and it is not an act of worship that will bring one close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next point. If a person climbs up the mountain, right, the cave, to the cave of Hira or the Mount of Thor, in order only to look without seeking to draw closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by doing this climb, then there is nothing wrong with this. Right? So you go just to go see. You're not climbing for the reason to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a form of ibadah. There's nothing wrong with that. You have a question? Yeah. Yes, Fatah. Um, so, so some people will climb up there and like maybe two Nakhon times. Is that permissible? No. Right. And then some people will, so I'm assuming that, that some people will uh, climb up there um, during Nakhon time or something and like Fajr today. Yes, the reason why they do that is because it's hot. So they don't want to go during the day. No, no, but then, so they, they put emphasis on making Fajr there at that point. Oh, okay. Taib. Obviously, you have to make Fajr wherever you are. Yeah, so... Uh, it's almost like, the, for example, someone would say they got Fajr in the Rauda or something. Okay, so now they say they got Fajr at the cave. So they put emphasis on that. that I'm assuming yeah, okay, so obviously to put emphasis on making Fajr there. Right, this is not of the Quran and Sunnah. Right? But if you climb in because it's hot in the day and you went at night with the mere purpose of just going to see and the Adhan goes off and the time you're going to come down, you might miss Fajr Salah. If you're going to come down before, while the waqt is still in, then obviously come down. But if it now means that you're going to have to make Fajr wherever you are, like you said, then you will make Fajr. But as for that you need to make Fajr there because it's a special Fajr, then this is not to be found in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the myth or the most important fact that we take away from this fatwa of the Sheikh is that, first of all, it's not Sunnah. Secondly, that if you are going with the intention of drawing drawing closer to Allah Azza wa Jal, then this is problematic. But if you are climbing, and the only reason why you are climbing, right? At the end of the day, your intention, only you know. No one else knows your intention. It's between you and Allah. So you know why you're climbing. And if you are just climbing because you want to see how the cave looks, then there's no problem with this. And obviously, just on a side note, please don't go write your name. And take a spray paint can and that because that's what I mean, right? If you go there, you will see, right? You look at, of what? You want to take a selfie? Okay, Allah knows best, right? And right, so this fatwa, this was found in one of the sheikh's um, sessions, monthly sessions, which is known as al-liqa'a or al-shahri. Now we're going to look at Mount Thor. Right, this is the next historical site. Or known as Jabal Thawr. And this is the mountain that contains the cave in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, and who? Which companion? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Right, they 
sought refuge for about three days and three nights from the womb. Who were they hiding from? They were hiding from the Quraysh. As they left Mecca and they immigrated to Medina. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, إِلَّا تَنْصُرُوهُ فَقَدْ نَصَرَهُ اللَّهُ إِذْ أَخْرَجَهُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا ثَانِيَ اثْنَيْنِ إِذْ هُمَا فِي الْغَارِ إِذْ يَقُولُ لِصَاحِبِهِ لَا تَحْزَنْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَنَا فَأَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَيْهِ وَأَيَّدَهُ بِجُنُودٍ لَمْ تَرَوْهَا وَجَعَلَ كَلِمَةَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا السُّفْلَى وَكَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ هِيَ الْعُلْيَى وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says verse number 40 Surah Tawbah So this is the ninth surah of the Quran Verse number 40 If you help him if you help Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or if you don't help him, it won't matter. For Allah did indeed help Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah helped the messenger of Allah when the disbelievers drove him out. The second of the two when they, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr were in the cave. So I don't know if I mentioned was in this class or somewhere else Allah Allah that the only companion's name that is mentioned was it here is who is Zaid that's mentioned in the Quran but here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically is speaking about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and with him Abu Bakr radiyallahu an because he says that your companion that was with you in the cave so this was no one else but Abu Bakr radiyallahu an and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, He tells Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, La tahzan, inna allaha ma'ana. That don't be sad. Don't feel down, don't have fear in your heart, because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with us. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He sent down His sakina, His calmness, His tranquility, upon him and he strengthened him with forces with angels which they did not see and he made the word of those who disbelieve the lowest of words and the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala became the highest of words and indeed Allah is the almighty the all wise Aisha radiallahu anha the wife of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she said, then the messenger of Allah and Abu Bakr radiallahu an, they headed towards a cave on the mountain of Thawr. And they hid in it for three nights, during which Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr. So this was the brother of who? Brother of Aisha radiallahu anha, who was a smart young lad stayed with him at night, then left just before dawn, so that he would be among the Quraysh in Mecca, when the morning came, as if he had spent the night amongst them. He used to listen out to see what they were planning, 
then you would bring news of that to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr radiallahu an when it was dark. And this narration is found in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and it's a lengthy narration. There is a very common story. Right? When you speak about Abu Bakr radiallahu an and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the cave. Does anyone know the story? Or what does the story entail? Snake? Yes? Sorry? Spider's web. Right? That's what we're looking at. Right? The story of the spider's web. And there's another narration of pigeons as well. So scholars differed concerning this hadith. They differed that whether there was a spider's web that basically covered the entrance or made it certain part of the entrance was covered so that when the Quraysh came out, they would think that no one is in here because generally when you see spider webs, then there's no inhabitants or there's no people in the place. And... Right, so the scholars they differed on whether the story is authentic or not. And Sheikh Albani Rahimallahu Ta'ala he brings this in his silsila at Da'ifa, which obviously means that he says that there is a problem, there is some defects in the chain of narrations. And he says that there is no Sahih hadith concerning the spider's web and concerning that the doves came despite the fact that this is widely mentioned in books and lectures and even on the anniversary of the migration of the Prophet ﷺ, people would bring these stories up however the sheikh is not the first to make these ahadith or deem these ahadith to be weak so the best is obviously to not mention it. Right? As for the biting or the scorpion that but Abu Bakr radiallahu this narration seems to be authentic and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The next important point we want to look at or historical site is a masjid known as Masjid al so Masjid al-Khayf is a masjid whose virtues are proven in some ahadith according, or according to the hadith of Ibn Abbas this hadith is marfu that he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said 70 prophets prayed in Masjid al-Khayf how many? 70 However, many of the scholars declared this hadith to be weak. Abdul Rahman ibn Mu'adh, he reports that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam delivered a sermon in Mina, he instructed the muhajireen to set up camp in front of Masjid al-Khayf and the Ansar to set up camp behind it. So the muhajirun they set up a camp in front of the masjid. The Ansar, they set up a camp 
behind the masjid. The rest of the Muslims were to camp behind them. This hadith is found in Abu Dawood. So, Masjid al-Khayf, right? When you in Mina, you will see this masjid. It is a huge masjid. Now, this masjid is only in operation during the days of Hajj. Right? So, if you're going to go there now, right? The masjid is closed. And also, right? This masjid becomes this masjid becomes extremely packed during Hajj and some people will even try to stay in there, etc., etc. If you want to go and go make Salah in your own Mina and that, you can go. If the days of Mina, if it falls on a Friday, right, there is no Jum'ah. Even in this Masjid itself, they won't make Salatul Jum'ah. Some South African groups, right, and more specifically the groups from up country, right, Johannesburg, Durban, predominantly the Ahnaf, right, they make Jum'ah. This is not the practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but rather to make Dhuwar Salah and not Jum'ah. Now, the next historical site that we want to look at is a famous graveyard in Makkah, which is known as known as what? The graveyard in Makkah, a famous one. Right? In English, they call it. Mala. Have you never heard of this before? Right? They add something in the front of it. Channa to Mala. Never? Oh, okay. <laughs> right, this is the famous graveyard in Makkah. Up until today it's been used. Yes, we come into that. Right, so they still use it up until today. And... Right, just to clarify something for Baqi as well, which is in Medina, and Ma'ala, which is in Makkah, where people came on to describe it or put the word Jannah, Allah A'lam. Right, there's no hadith, there's no narrations that says that the Prophet or the companions attributed Jannah to this. So, from now onwards, we will just call it the graveyard of Baqi or the graveyard of Mala and Baqi we will discuss more in detail when we look at Medina so it is reported that first of all right this is a valley east of Masjid al-Haram right so it's to the east of the Haram several members of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's family and many of the companions are buried there there are some narrations that Khadija radiallahu anha is buried there as well. Now, no, no, no. Now we're in Makkah. Oh. Yeah. Uhud, we're gonna come to inshallah. You talking about the 70 companions that were buried? No, that's Uhud. This is now Makkah. Right. So they say that some of the Prophet's family 
and some of the companions are buried here. Obviously, the graves are not demarcated. It's not marked off. So no one will know where the graves are. The next historical place we're going to look at is Mina. So now this obviously plays a big role in the life of the Hajj. Because he's going to spend how many days in Mina? How many days? When, what day is he going to go to Mina? The 8th. And stay there the 8th. And stay be there. Right? The 9th is going to Arafah. Right? He's going to Arafah the 9th. So he won't, most probably he won't be there the night. Right? The night of the 10th. Because the night comes before the day. So he won't be there. Most probably because where is he going to be? After Arafah, where does he go to? Goes to Mustalifah. Spends the night. Or most of the night. Then he comes back. Where does he come to? Comes back to Mina. Right? Yeah, so obviously from Muzdalifah you pelt immediately. That's on the way. So you will just pelt your one jamara. Then you will come back to Mina. Then if you want to take a rest, you'll take a rest of it or you'll go make your tawaf. Then... Okay. Right? So you go to Makkah for whatever package you're on. Usually by the first of... No, no, no. When you set up for Hajj. When you settle for Hajj from Azizia, you go to Mina. But do you stay in Mina? Yeah. You go the 8th. Right, so you're going to go the 8th. You're going to try and be there before Dhuwar Salah. You're going to make Dhuwar. You're going to make Asr. You're going to make Maghrib. You're going to make Isha. You're going to make Fajr. Of the day of Arafah. So you will be spending that day there. So you'll be spending the 8th day and the night of the 9th. After Fajr, you go to where? To Arafah. Then, where were we? Right, so now we came back from Mustalifa. We pelted the one Jamara. Now either you can go, can go make the Tawaf, or you can rest of it, whatever you feel that you want to do. Now you can, now after this, right, so we on the, which day? Tenth day. Right, now we're on the tenth day. So after the 10th day, right? So for you, the Hajj, right? You're not going to know even that this is a day of Eid, right? Because you're so busy. As for us, this is the day of Eid. Then the 11th, 12th, and 13th, this, these days are known as the days of Tashrik. Where will you be? In Mina. So you can say you basically your whole Hajj, besides Arafah and right and that night of Mustalifa. We're spending a lot of time in Mina. Right? In the tent. With a nice blow-up mattress or something like that. And that's where you will be spending most of your time. So Mina is about 7 kilometers east from Masjid Al-Haram. And this is where the pilgrim sleeps overnight on the 8th, the 11th, the 12th. And some of them will even be there on the 13th of the Prophet وسلم, he stayed for all three days of Tashrik. It contains the Jamarat. So the Jamarat is in 
Mina. The three stone pillars which are pelted by the pilgrim as part of the rituals of Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions Mina in Surah Al-Baqarah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says وَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ فِي أَيَّامٍ مَعْدُودَاتٍ فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمَيْنِ فَلَا إِسْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَمَنْ تَأَخَّرَ فَلَا إِسْمَ عَلَيْهِ لِمَنِ اتَّقَى وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَاعْلَمُوهُ أَنَّكُمْ إِلَيْهِ تُحْشَرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and remember Allah during أَيَّامٍ مَعْدُودَاتٍ The specific numbered days. Then فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمَيْنِ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ And whomsoever hastens his departure in two days. He only stays for the two days of tashriq. There is no sin upon him. وَمَنْ تَأَخَّرَ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ لِمَنِ اتَّقَى And whomsoever delays it until the third day, the thirteenth, there is no sin upon him as well. For him who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fear Allah wattaqullah wa'lamu and know annakum ilayhi tuhsharun that we will all be gathered meaning we will all be returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whoever stays two days there's no sin upon him. Whoever stays three days there's no sin upon him. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he stayed for three days. What I encourage the hujjaj, if you are not ill, right, you're not, physically you are fine, alhamdulillah. You are not ill. Why stay for the two days? What are you going to do in Azizia? Unless obviously you're going to leave the 13th. Your flight is booked, you need to go to Jidda, whatever, then that's different. But if you're not going to go, and you, you know you're going to spend another two or three days in Aziz, and then why? You might as well just stay. And it's nice <laughs> to stay the extra day because most of the people go. So you, Mina is empty, it's nice to contemplate, spend time. And what? Also, when you go pelt on the third day, the 13th day, when you're going to go pelt the Jamarat, obviously those people that leave after the second day, they're not going to pelt the 13th day. But those that are going to pelt, right, the last day, you'll see. It's like, it's a breeze. So empty. So, the Prophet ﷺ, like we mention every week, he said, Khudu anni manasikakum. He said, take from me your hajj. What does the word mina mean? The word mina means to flow. As it is here that the blood of the sacrificial animals flow during the days of Eidul Adha. During the farewell pilgrimage known as Hajjatul Wada. The farewell pilgrimage. How many times did Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa make Hajj? Once. The Muslims brought with him 100 camels to be sacrificed. On the 10th of the Hijjah, day of Eid, the day of the Arafah, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he stoned the Jamarat and he went back to his camp in Mina where he sacrificed 63 camels. Ali radiallahu an slaughtered the remaining 37. Which means the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam cut how many camels himself with his own hand? 63. I'll never forget this. 
Well, right in our exam, right, at the Islamic University of Medina. And we're doing the chapter of Hajj. Now, this subject, it's, it's a fixed subject, so, right, it, you study the fiqh, the ahkam of fiqh, like what you do with Sheikh Imran, this is what we studied. And one of the questions in the exam was this. How many camels did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa slaughter with his own hand? And I think 99% got it wrong because no one studied the amount of camels. Right? So this obviously, after the exam, everyone went to go check. Now what is this? What is this? So something you'll never forget. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he instructed that a part of each camel is cooked and served to him and his companions. Now imagine the Prophet they came with a hundred camels. He slaughtered 63 of them with his Mubarak hands, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The next historical site, what do you think is the next one? No. Arafah. Right? And what did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say about Arafah? He said, Al-Hajju, Arafah. He said, Hajj is Arafah. If you didn't get Arafah, you didn't get Hajj. <laughs> and whoever got Arafah, he got Hajj. Obviously, you're going to do in the fixed section now, but now what happens if you didn't sleep in Musdalifa? What happens if the bus took 12 hours to come and then it was Fajr the next day and... What happens if I didn't stone the Jamarat with seven people, right? That all you're going to do with Sheikh Imran. That is not my department. In the Sahihain, right, Bukhari and Muslim, it is reported from Umar ibn Khattab. He said that a Jewish man said to him, O Amirul Mu'mineen, there is an ayah in your book, meaning in the Quran which you recite. If it had come to us, we would have taken this day or that day as a day of Eid. What ayah do you think this is? And which day is he referring to? Anyone? Ayah can be in English, it's fine. Taib. Right, so Umar, he says, which ayah? The man, he says, this day I have perfected your religion for you. الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ This verse was revealed on which day? The day of? Arafah. We Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. At which many people have this nice frame in their houses. The farewell pilgrimage. Right? Have you not seen this? I've right? seen it a lot of people, right? It's, they have the farewell pilgrimage, the khutbah, the sermon of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, known as the final sermon, which he gave on Arafah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse, Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum, wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati, wa raditu lakum al-islam adina. Side question. Was this the last verse revealed in the Quran? Yes or no? What was the last verse? 
But here Allah says, I completed your religion for you. It's complete. So is this not the last verse? Right, the last verse is the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, he has a whole page basically if you looking at the 15 line Quran. Right, the whole page deals with, as the brother says, about interest. And right at the bottom, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ ثُمَّ تُوَفَّ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَا كَسَبَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُظْلَمُونَ وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ This was the last one. Reveal. وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ And now on that day, وَاتَّقُوا and fear the day that when you are going to be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for this verse, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ There was no ahkam revealed after this verse. No fiqh rulings whatsoever revealed after this verse. So this is the day where Allah perfected our religion for us. And Imam Malik rahimallahu ta'ala regarding this verse, he says, that whomsoever says or whomsoever introduces a matter into this religion of ours, into this deen, after this, it is as if you have said Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has deceived this ummah. Because Allah says, and then he quotes this verse, because Allah says that I have perfected your religion for you. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he came with all forms of ibadah. That's complete. For someone else to come now, afterwards, and say that no, you can add this into the deen. You can do this into the deen. It is as if you are saying that Muhammad, peace be upon him, has deceived his ummah. Because he has not completed his deen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he says that we know on which day and in which place this verse was revealed. And he says that it was on the day of Arafah, on a Friday. In another narration, Umar, he says that this is why we have two Eids. Because Friday is an Eid. And this day that the verse was revealed. Subhanallah. This, na'am. This is in Suratul Ma'idah. Surah Ma'idah is the fifth, the fifth surah, right? Fatiha, Baqarah, Ali, Imran, Nisa, Ma'idah, yes. And it is verse number three. So the verse is quite a long verse, so towards the end of the verse will be this ayah. The day of Arafah is also a day which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore an oath. The Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot swear by anything except that which is mighty. And another thing to add to this is that Allah is the only being that can swear, can take an oath by anything that He wills. Human beings, we can only take an oath by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahi billahi tallahi. Abdullah ibn Umar is standing one day by the Kaaba. And he hears a man taking an oath 
By what? By the Kaaba. And he says that Man halafa bi Right? Inni sami'tu Rasulallahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Man halafa bi ghayrillahi faqad ashra O faqad kafara One of the two he says that I heard Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say that whosoever takes an oath but other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala faqad ashraka he has committed shirk right so that is the correct narration faqad ashraka and the ulama say that this is minor shirk so it won't take you out of the fold of Islam but it is a sin so what did this man do? He says that he takes an oath by the Kaaba. But one can say, and the ulama differ, but one is allowed to say that I take an oath by the Lord of the Kaaba. Rabbul Kaaba. That is fine. But to say take an oath by the Kaaba itself, what are you taking an oath by? By an object, which is not allowed. And obviously, right, when we grew up here in Cape Town, you'd find people, they would say that. Ten days in the Quran, there is it, right? It's obviously not allowed as well, unless you mean by it. If you mean, just say for example, this was the Mus'haf, right? This was the Quran. So if you mean by the book, then this is not allowed. If you mean by the, that it is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is a different masala, and obviously time doesn't allow us to go into many details. Or people, subhanAllah, they would say that I saw you on my mother's life. Right? This is la yajus. This is totally not permissible. So he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in surah al-buruj, wa-samai dhati al-buruj, wal-yawmi al-maw'ud. And then the verse that we want to look at, wa-shahidiw wa-mashhud. By the witnessing day, Friday, and by the witness day, the day of Arafah. It is reported by Abu Huraira radiallahu an that he said that the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, the promised day is the day of resurrection. The witness day is the day of Arafah. And the witnessing day is the day of Jum'ah, a Friday. This is hadith is found in Tirmidhi. It is the odd-numbered Day, right? Meaning witter means odd number. By which Allah swore in the ayah where He said, "Wal fajr walayalin ashr, wal shafi wal witter, wal shafi wal witter." And by the even and by the odd day, Ibn Abbas said that the even day is the day of Eid al-Adha. The tenth of the Hijjah and the odd day is the day of Arafah, which is the ninth. So even is ten and the ninth is odd. And this was the view of Ikrima as well. Fasting on the day of Arafah is an expiation for two years of one sins. For who? The the non hujjaj So if you're on Arafah, no fasting. If you, and wh- why do you think there's no fasting for the one of Arafah? Imagine two years, sins forgiven. Okay. Must eat. Why? No, 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 no. Eat the next day. Yes, that's it. You need to gain as much strength as you can and exert yourself on the day of Arafah with dua. 
And this is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, also one of the reasons why he joined Asr Wadhuwar Salah. Besides that he was a traveler, but also because so that one has more time to exert and more energy to exert. And this is why on the topic of Arafah, I'm going to say it now. When you come to Arafah, you are going to come there early in the morning. Right? Go sleep. Rest. Because when is Arafah's time actually? From the time of? Dhuar. Known as the time of? Wukuf. This is now when you are going to make dua. So rest the morning. Sleep. Don't walk around. Don't involve yourself in a lot of chit-chat. Rest. Because you are going to need your energy to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from after the word salah until maghrib. Until when? Until maghrib. So again, rest. And for those that are not going to be on Hajj, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was asked about fasting on the day of Arafah. He said it expiates for the two for the sins of the previous year and for the coming year. This is narrated by Imam Muslim. And I mentioned that the fasting is mustahab for those that who, that for those who are not on Hajj. In the case for the one that is on Hajj, it is not sunnah for him to fast on the day of Arafah. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not fast on this day of Arafah. It is the day on which Allah took the covenant from the progeny of Adam. And it is reported that Ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah took the covenant from the loins of Adam in Na'man, meaning Arafah. He brought forth from his loins all the offspring and spread them before him. Then he addressed them and said, Am I not your Lord? They said, Yes, we testify. Let You should say on the day of resurrection, Verily we have been unaware of this. Or lest you should say, it was only our forefathers, a foretime who took others as partners in worship along with Allah, and we were merely their descendants after them. Will you then destroy us because of the deeds of men who practiced polytheism? This verse, right, so part of this, right, so what I quoted is the hadith, but part of the hadith is a verse in Suratul A'raf, verse number 172 and 173, you can check it up. This hadith is narrated by Ahmad and it is Sahih. Time is running out. It is also the day of forgiveness of sins, freedom of the fire and pride in the people who are there. Now this ahadith is specific now for who? The ones for fasting was for? Those that are not on Arafah. Now these ahadith are for who? Those people that are on Arafah. Aisha radiallahu anha. 
He said that the Messenger of Allah said, There is no day on which Allah frees more people from the fire than the day of Arafah. He comes close and expresses his pride to the angels saying, What do these people want? So Allah comes to the angels. He asks them, What do these people want? And the hadith carries on. And the angels, they reply to Allah that all that these people want is that they want your forgiveness. And Allah says, then forgive them. In another narration from Ibn Umar, he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Allah expresses his pride to his angels at the time of Isha, on the day of Arafah, about the people of Arafah. He says, look at my slaves who have come unkept, right? They've the years been disheveled, they are dusty, but all that they wanted was my forgiveness and I forgave them. And there are many other ahadith with regards to Arafah. The next place, Muzdalifa. Muzdalifa stretches from the valley of Muhassar to the mountains of Ma'zamain. It is four kilometers long and covers an area of 12 0.25 square kilometers and Allah says فَإِذَا أَفَلْتُ مِنْ عَرَفَاتٍ فَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ عِنْدَ الْمَشْعَرِ الْحَرَامِ وَاذْكُرُوهُ كَمَا هَدَاكُمْ وَإِنْ كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الضَّالِينَ and Allah says in Surah Baqarah when you leave Arafah فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمْ مِنْ عَرَفَاتٍ فَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهِ then remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dal mash'aril haram at the mash'aril haram the sacred monument and this is referring to Muzdalifa according to Abdullah ibn Umar during the farewell hajj the prophet peace be upon him he performed maghrib and isha salah together at Muzdalifa when the sun sets you might still be in the camp on Arafah no maghrib is going to be performed there you are going to delay your Maghrib Salah until the waqt of Isha. And you will make this when you are in the plains of Muzdalifa. Right? Sometimes you are going to wait for the bus. The bus is only going to come after Isha. But you will get to Muzdalifa. And you will make Isha, you will make Maghrib and Isha there. Three raka'ats of Maghrib, make Salam, get up, they will make Iqama again. Then you will make two raka'ats of Isha. The next point you want to look at is a wadi, which is a valley, or, right, a valley, yes, known as Muhassar. This is a place between Mina and Muzdalifa. It is here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed Abraha and the, his armies of his elephants. This incident is mentioned in Surah to Feel, and I think we discussed Surah to Feel. Alhamdulillah. Masjidul Aisha. Masjidul Aisha is also known as what? Tana? Yes. This marks the place where Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha went to enter into a ihram for Umrah when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told her to do so during the farewell hajj. The masjid lies 7.5 kilometers south of Mecca. And if you, most people will come in from Medina. So this road that you enter into Mecca, you see the masjid. It will be on your, if you come into Mecca, it will be on your left hand side. 
Jabir radiallahu an, he reports that Aisha radiallahu anha was experiencing haid. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam instructed her to perform all the various rites of hajj except tawaf. So she went to Arafah, she went to Muzdalifah, her sacrifice was slaughtered, etc. Everything was done, piece of a year was cut, except what? Tawaf. And what happens? Then she performed the tawaf after a cycle had ended. She then said, O Messenger of Allah, whilst you have performed Hajj and Umrah, I only performed Hajj. The Prophet then instructed her brother Abdul Rahman to take her to Masjid al Aisha or known as Tanaim. And it was from there that she performed her Umrah after the Hajj during the month of Dhul Hijjah. So her Hajj was done and then she wanted to perform Umrah as well. Why? Because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed Umrah and performed Hajj. So Aisha radiallahu anha. This is one of the qualities that she had. She always wanted to be like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whatever he did. So you perform Umrah, so I also want to perform Umrah. So then he told the brother, take her out, let her go don her ihram. And because she donned the ihram at this masjid, or at this place known as Tanaim, a masjid was built and now this masjid is known as Masjidul Aisha. Understood? This brings us to the end of our session this week, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings.